Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Allison. Uh, my name's Alex. I'm the lead pastor here at Courtright. And I don't know about you, but I love this time of year. There's always lots of announcements in early September at Courtright. There's always the need for extra chairs. And it's exciting to reconnect with people after the summer. Uh, I'm sure there are exciting things happening in your own individual lives or family lives as well. We had two of our kids this week start in new schools, and that was exciting and a little bit scary, but thank God the week went really well. Um, I, As we were praying with the worship team earlier before the service, um, I saw Eleni for the first time in a while, and I said, wow, you look pregnant, <laughs> because I knew she was pregnant before, but she didn't look pregnant, and now she does. So, <laughs> God is doing exciting things within our church, is he not? And so, as all these things begin, it seems really fitting that we are diving into Genesis this fall. In the beginning, we are starting there, and we're going to spend the next three months, the next 12 Sundays, looking at Genesis, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and then on into God's covenant with Abraham when God chooses a people for himself. You can think of Genesis as the foundation to the whole of the Christian faith. And so to be able to grasp Genesis and to really find who we are in a way, our identity in Christ in Genesis is going to be, I trust, a renewing experience for us, that the Holy Spirit was going to use that to show us how he is remaking us in the light of the original creation, how we are his new creation as the church and individually how he is bringing us into the hope that we have in Jesus. So that's what is to come. Let's pray now before we read from the book of Genesis. Dear God, we thank you that you are Alpha and Omega which means you are the beginning and the end. You are, and there is nothing more foundational, nothing more true in our lives than you. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that right now you would enable us to have that focus in this service, that we would be listening, that we would be attentive, that you would be shaping our hearts and our minds so that we can better see who you are and who we are in the light of your beauty, your truth, and your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And Allison's going to come and read for us. Our scripture reading this morning is Genesis 1, 1 to 3, and John 1, 1 to 3, and 10 to 14. There's a lot of descriptive language, so if you like, I invite you to close your eyes as you hear this scripture this morning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word of the Lord. So Genesis 1 tells the story of the beginning of the world. But in the three verses we read, you actually even get a glimpse of what was going on before the beginning of the world. And that's more important than maybe we sometimes realize. Here we see at the very outset of the book of Genesis three things. That there was before creation even, first of all, God. That might sound obvious, but it's actually at the very core of who we are and who we're created to be. First of all, there was God. Second of all, there was relationship. And third, there was chaos. So when the world began, God was already there because only God has no beginning. And so everything that is finds its being or origin in God. We read that in verse 1, don't we? In the beginning, God. You can think of this pen that I brought up here with me. Sometimes I have really good ideas for my sermon 30 seconds before the service starts. What is this pen for? Anyone know? Writing. That's what pens are for. This pen was designed by someone. There are pen designers out there, believe it or not. No one would produce a pen without knowing what it was for. And so if God created human beings, then each one of us is the realization of God's conception and God's purpose. That is who we are. Now, atheism says that there's no God and claims that there is freedom in that. But atheists still insist on human nature, still insist that we must do certain things because they're good, that they're right. I love the way that Fyodor Dostoevsky, the Russian novelist, puts this. He says, if there is no God, then everything is permitted. Is that what we would call freedom? If there is a God and if we were created, then we are like this pen which is good or bad only because it was made for a purpose, to write and not to cut paper. That's what scissors are for. So a pen is good if it does that, if it writes. And we know that a pen is no good if you try to use it to cut paper. That would be bad. So if human beings are made by God, then there is good and bad for us. Otherwise, you don't know what you're for. You're lost in a way. 
Without God, there is no purpose. But for us, the foundation and the reality of our lives is, in the beginning, God. Now, maybe you're not all that inspired by thinking of yourself as a pen. I don't know if if I really captivated you with that image. I don't think I did. (laughs) Let me tell you a quick story. This summer, Chloe and I were on a walk. My daughter, Chloe, and I were out wandering the hills, and I saw a hawk. There was a hawk soaring above us in the sky, and we stopped and watched it. It was beautiful. It was captivating, amazing the way it soared. And this, you know, I looked for a bunch of pictures of hawks, and this does no justice to it, although it points to the beauty of seeing a bird in the sky. But hawks don't do so well on the ground, do they? I I don't think I've ever seen a hawk walking along the ground. We did... Uh, Judith and the kids and I did see Canadian geese on Waterloo Avenue this morning on our way to the church. And a couple of my kids were like, swerve the car, Dad, get those geese. <laughs> so those geese, they're not really meant to be walking. They're, you could pick them off pretty easily when they're walking. But, but back to the hawk. Back to the hawk. <laughs> when hawks submit to their design, when they ride the winds, it is incredible. It is poetry in motion, but they're doomed if they resist their design. What if you don't think you have any purpose? A lot of people are in that position in our world. I would say that then you are not free. You're controlled by whatever people tell you to do, whatever they tell you is cool, whatever someone pushes you to do and says, this thing is worthwhile. So do you want freedom? Do you want significance? Then find what God made you for and realize it. How do you do that? Well, two ways. First of all, we heard in the beginning God created, and then we heard the New Testament beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And we know that the Word was Jesus, but the Word is also God's revealed truth in Scripture. And so, The first way that you find out what God made you for and you realize that is by reading the Bible and by living it out. But secondly, you realize that there are certain callings on you, that you're not alone, you're not independent. God has given you gifts. He's given you certain things he wants you to do. And you can't figure that out just by reading the Bible. You have to get to know God personally. You have to develop a vital prayer life. And you have to be in community with people who know you, who love you, who are prepared to challenge you, and that is the community of the church. All of this because in the beginning, God. The second thing that we find here in the first two verses of Genesis is that there was relationship. Where do we see that? Oh, in verse 2, the Spirit of God was hovering, it says. And hovering here is a Hebrew word that refers to a mother bird fluttering over her young. It's a very intimate and warm image. Not abstract or distant in the least. And then we read on, and God and the Spirit are creating. They're creating all things through the Word. God says, let there be light. 
God never actually makes light. He says, let there be light. And as we'll see a lot more next week, he speaks creation into being. And so all of creation, all that is, happens through the word of God. And so you have God, you have the spirit of God, and the word of God, Jesus. We read that in John 1. The word made flesh is Jesus. You have them doing the creating. And those are the hints that John picks up in the New Testament and that we read from in the first chapter of John's Gospel, that the God who was there before the creation of the world and who created the world is a triune God, which means, as we sang in the last song we sang, God is three persons, the Father, the Son, who is the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit. And together, they created the world. So why does that matter? I mean, that's doctrine, that's theological truth. Does that make a difference to us, to who we are and how we would live our lives? Well, I think yes, absolutely, because it means that for us, love and relationships are primary. Most religions in the world believe that there's a God, but they think of God as singular. But it's obvious that love can only happen when there are Two, at least two persons. You can't love if you're alone. And so God couldn't have loved on his own. And so we see that relationship and love are the very core of who God is and how he created us, how we are to live, if we're to live rightly, if we're to live into the harmony that he designed us for. Jesus tells us in John 17 that from all eternity, the Father, the Son, the Spirit were in relationship glorifying and loving each other from the before the beginning of the world. And out of that love comes the power for creation. Loving relationships come first, not power. Now, we live in a cynical world. It's easy to get cynical about love if you have had your heart broken, if you see the way people act, the way people betray each other. Underneath the surface, though we talk about love and relationship, we live in a society that values power most of all. And if there is no God, then I think that may be true, that power would be the ultimate reality. It really would be survival of the fittest, the strong eating the weak. But Christianity, starting here in Genesis 1, says something totally different. Jesus says the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were glorifying each other before the creation of the world, not competing for glory, but giving it away to each other. This is at the heart of who God is, that you put the needs of others ahead of your own. You defer, you serve. And so that actually means that selfishness is against the way we were designed. Mutual self-giving is what we were created for, where, where everyone is saying to each other, not my needs, but yours. I will put your needs first. And you can imagine that's a kind of paradise. You can imagine how different our world would be if we lived that way. And it's at the essence of the Trinity, at the core of how we're called to live. I love the way C.S. Lewis puts this in Mere Christianity. And, and yes, this is a bit of a plug for Glenn Fox's course coming up. 
if, if you haven't read Mere Christianity, the first time I read it, it changed my life. I don't think it will ever go out of style. C.S. Lewis is that amazing. So after Thanksgiving, Glenn, where are you? Start waving. There you go. Yeah. See that man. He's not C.S. Lewis, but he's close. I like him. Yeah. Here's the quote. Here's the quote. In self-giving, we touch a rhythm not of material creation, but of all being. For the eternal word, that is Jesus Christ, also gives himself in sacrifice. But at the cross, he only did in the wild weather of his outlying provinces that which he had been doing at home in glory and gladness from before the foundation of the world. For the Son glorifies the Father, and the Father glorifies the Son. So from the highest to the lowest, self exists to be abdicated off the throne. And by that abdication, it becomes more truly itself. This is not a law which we can escape. The only thing outside the system of self-giving is hell. Hell's fierce imprisonment of self-absorption. We've all tasted that, haven't we? When you get so self-preoccupied, self-absorbed, alone, that is the farthest thing from what God intended for you. Self-giving is God's nature, and it is our ultimate created reality. The reason that I am still married to Judith after almost 21 years, over 21 years, actually, Now that we're in our 22nd year, the reason that I'm still married to Judith is not because I remember our anniversary. The reason that I still have a marriage that is a joy is that Judith and I have learned that self is meant to be abdicated. And that has been a painful journey at times. We've learned that we, we must submit to each other out of reverence for Christ because that is who we are. And to go against that is to destroy ourselves. And that does not just go for marriage. Obviously, that goes for every close relationship and every network of relationships. The reason Courtright is still here, you heard from Andrew earlier. We started in that gym in 1980. The reason Courtright is still here and thriving is because over almost 40 years ago, we... And for all the time in between, we have embraced self-giving and service. How is God calling you to do that today? How is God calling you to realize your nature, to live out his reality, to turn away from self-interest and to give yourself to others, to love and to serve, to be a part in a practical way of this church community? How will you step into that this fall? Because God will meet you there. I promise you that. So take some time this week to consider that. What could you do? Where could you go? Who could you be with? The third thing that we find here at the very beginning of Genesis is chaos. Before the creation, we have darkness. The earth was formless and empty and darkness was upon the face of the deep. But when God begins to speak under his word, the darkness and chaos are dispelled. They're replaced by light and order. What does that mean for us? Well, think back to the story 
of the Exodus. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, when the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt, he says, let my people go. Release them from their imprisonment. And you can read about in Exodus 5 to 10 how Pharaoh refuses. And so God sends these plagues upon the Egyptians, but Pharaoh will not budge. Pharaoh refuses to let them go. Why? Why would he do that? You ever wonder that, if you know that story? Well, I think because the plagues were all natural. Pharaoh must have thought, maybe it wasn't God. Maybe it was bad luck. You know, sometimes things come together and it's just a bad outcome. Hurricanes, locusts, frogs. Why didn't God make it unmistakably supernatural, unmistakably from God? Pick your, pick your favorite Avenger for a second, okay? Why didn't God give Moses a hammer, like a really cool hammer? A lightning strike from on high. I asked Calm about this earlier, and he said, well, Hulk and Moses, that would have made an impression. You can imagine Hulk hanging off the pyramids, tearing them to pieces. Why not? Because, because God was showing Pharaoh and showing all of us that sin unleashes the forces of chaos and darkness in our lives because sin violates the fabric of your very being. The plagues were the unraveling of creation. What you actually have in the plagues is the opposite of what you read in Genesis 1-2. to Think of the plague of darkness, which comes at the end. Now, if your doctor tells you not to eat food that is going to lead you to have high cholesterol, if your doctor says this is serious, you need to change your diet, you need to exercise, he doesn't actually have to punish you to get your attention. Because you're violating the design of your own physical being. And eventually, you will have a heart attack. And that will get your attention. When God says, you shall have no other gods before me. When God says, put me at the center of your life. His word, his commandment is for your health. He doesn't have to strike you down. If you put romance or an ideal of marriage at the center of your life, if you put the perfect family, the success of your children at the heart of your life, then when your romance or marriage falters, or if you don't get married, or when your family starts to fall apart, or your kids disappoint you, you will grow angry and bitter about it. You're inviting chaos into your life when you ignore God's word. Because when God speaks his word and sends his word, the darkness turns to light. There is life and harmony and hope. And it's our sin, it's our wrongdoing that have created chaos in our lives. So what can be done about this? This is the dilemma we find ourselves in. Wouldn't it be justice if God just left us to that chaos? We've chosen it after all. Yeah, I would. But God is not just truth. He's also grace. We read that in John 1. In Matthew 27, as Jesus is being crucified, we read that from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. What's going on there? Well, think about those plagues again. 
The chaotic forces of darkness were falling on Jesus himself. Remember the rod of Moses? This is the rod of justice coming down on Jesus. Remember the Nile, the river Nile turning to blood? This is Jesus' blood and water flowing mingled down. Remember the death of the firstborn, the last plague. Here is God's firstborn being crucified, dying. Remember the darkness? This is sin's chaotic darkness falling on Jesus. What's going on? Jesus was the creator. Nothing was made without him. Jesus is the creator who came not to punish us, but to be uncreated so we could be recreated. Jesus is the maker who was willing to be unmade so we could be remade. Jesus is the judge who came not to dish out judgment, but to bear it for our sake, to take what we deserve. So this Holy Spirit could come into our lives and begin to remake us and get rid of the darkness that we all have. To say, let there be light here and there. The Word and the Spirit and the Father come into the life of everyone who will accept them. Everyone who is born again. And recreation begins thanks to the cross. That's why we gather around this table. You ever wonder why when we celebrate communion, we say that we proclaim the death of Jesus? We proclaim it until he comes again? Well, we do that because Jesus is God's love and grace to us. And the Spirit leads us into the hope of the resurrection. Do you have that hope today yourself? What circumstance in your life right now is chaos and darkness? You want to, would you just bow your head with me and close your eyes for a moment? There's no one in this room right now who isn't facing chaos, who isn't contending with darkness of some kind. As the Spirit hovered over the waters, the Holy Spirit hovers over you and over every one of us, over our church. I invite you now in the silence to name the chaos, to name the darkness, to name the hurt and pain in your life. And to say to God, would you come and make me new? Amen.